The views and opinions expressed on WXOJLP are solely those of the original hosts of their respective programs. These views and opinions do not necessarily represent those of Valley Free Radio Incorporated, its volunteers, or any other hosts, guests, or programs on this station. Due to the ongoing pandemic and to follow social distancing guidelines, this episode of Civil Politics was pre-recorded over Skype. Hello, and welcome to Civil Politics here on Valley Free Radio, WXOJLP 103.3 FM out of Northampton, Massachusetts. I'm Michael Dow hosting tonight. Uh, we've got John Roberts, as usual, running the sound, and Sue Timberlake, as usual, serving as our glorious cult leader. Yeah, I oh, stop it. That sound. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> <clears throat> And we're uh, very happy tonight to have a special guest, uh, uh, Jody Casper, the chief of the Northampton Police Department. Uh, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. <clears throat> um, before we get, uh, get into talking about uh, well, the many things that there are to ask a, an actual police uh, chief, I do just want to mention that, as always, we love to hear from our listeners, and we try to make it easy for you to contact us. You can email us, civilpoliticsradio at valleyfreeradio.org. Tweet at us, uh, at civilpoliticsfm. Facebook.com slash civilpoliticsradio is our community there. And we do have our own website, which is quite simply civilpoliticsradio.com. And that's where you'll find recordings of uh, previous episodes of the show, supplemental episodes, and other, other links to things we talk about. So it's hopefully a great resource if you're enjoying the show, which we hope you are. <clears throat> so, uh, Chief Casper, welcome. Thank you. So, um, uh, obviously, you have uh, lots of stuff to, to do, and there's lots to talk about. Um, I guess the, I guess a question I think would be worthy, considering we're talking about, there's a call for, you know, defunding or abolishing the police. Uh, I guess a basic question I think would be a, a good place to start would be, what do you think the job description should be for the Northampton Police Department? That is a reasonable place to start. Uh, you know, our job and our mission is public safety and quality of life. I mean, that is written into everything that we do. So I think that that began as one thing many years ago and has certainly evolved over the years into really expansive duties and probably things that um, people have no idea that, that we do. Uh, and perhaps some things that there would be people better suited to do. And I think that's where we are with the defund and the reform era that we seem to be entering in the field of policing. So what should we be doing is certainly addressing crime and that involves prevention and also you know, identification and apprehension of people who commit crimes. Uh, it involves traffic and traffic safety. It involves medical response and drug addiction. Uh, and it involves a large educational component as well to prevent many of those things. But I think beyond that, you know, we deal with a lot of quality of life issues. And those are the things that, that I think people don't realize that we do and, and the, the vast amount of duties that fall under that umbrella. So as far as what we should be doing, you know, those ones that I listed, and then I think it's really important for us to kind of look at those quality of life issues right now and try to determine what are we doing that perhaps could be done uh, 
by someone else who, who might have more specialized training or, or who may better serve the person that we're assisting. If you, so if you were the person who got to make the call, you know, the sole authority, so it's just what you think is best. I mean, obviously mm -hmm. you'll have a voice, <laughs> but um, what, would you, what would you take off the Northampton Police Department's plate right now? What would you say, like, you know, really, we're not the best choice <laughs> for this. We try, but come on. <laughs> So I think the biggest thing, I mean, this is what we hear across the country is definitely looking at mental health calls, right? We do go on it. And I presented this to city council when I was asked, you know, a good portion of our calls, you know, maybe around 20% of our calls uh, involve a mental health component. And certainly having mental health crisis responders would be fantastic. I've said that for years, we've looked into it for years, but there's a significant cost at having a, a full-time or multiple full-time mental health responders who are available to go out. And I just, I say that cautiously in the sense that we need them. And I would love it if they would go instead, but we have to be realistic about the fact that there are many mental health calls that do involve a safety component and police officers are still going to have to respond. I can think of a call location that we go to very frequently, and it, it is a service providing place filled with specialists and, and mental health workers and crisis clinicians, and they call us there very frequently because there's a safety issue. So I, I don't think it's reasonable to think that we can just take every mental health related call and not have police officers go, go to them anymore because there is a safety issue on some of those. And it's just a matter of being able to, at the onset of the call, determine whether or not there is a safety issue or whether there isn't. And then perhaps on those calls that don't have one, being able to have another agency or another person respond to that call. Okay. Um, yeah, the other thing I've seen people uh, mention is that uh, uh, in many cases, police departments around the country are called upon to effectively deal with the problem of people being homeless. Uh, you know, you know, they send cops to, you know, rouse people in the parks or whatever. And how, how much of the Northampton Police Department's work invo is involved in just sort of dealing with the fact that uh, we're not providing homes for people in our community, so they have nowhere else to go. I mean, it's, it's a complicated problem, and it's obviously not all you know, your fault or your responsibility or any of that stuff. But I mean, how <laughs> much of you. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is not, yes. Yes, yeah. you, must, but I mean you must build houses <laughs> immediately. <laughs> so, hey, Jimmy Carter's doing it and he's almost 100. <laughs> so what's your excuse? <laughs> wait, 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 wait. What's my excuse? Anyway. <laughs> Please. So, yeah, we don't get a lot of calls just as you described, like kind of general rousing calls, you know, where we're getting called somewhere because someone's sleeping um, that's infrequent in the wintertime. Occasionally we may get that in common areas of buildings or maybe an ATM vestibule, or I can think of a few locations, but those are really not very frequent. Um, the most common crossover we have with, with people who are homeless is, you know, people who are um, involved in some other activity in our community and they also happen to be homeless. So certainly we do have a lot of contact with members of the homeless population. Uh, but sometimes there is a, a disturbance or a crime involved that we're there. So just kind of general, a call for someone who's just houseless and that's the reason for the call. They're sleeping outside and someone's worried about them. We don't get a lot of those, although we get some. So what do you do? What's the, how does the department handle it if someone like, I'm worried about this person who's, you know, sleeping in a tent out in the park or whatever, mm -hmm. like, 
you know, what do you do? What's the department's standard procedure? I mean, to the extent that there is one for such a thing. Right. So most of our officers know everybody. And I think that's actually an element that's forgotten in this whole conversation is it's not like we're walking up to strangers who are sleeping somewhere. We know people, their first and last names, and we may say, hey, you know, hey, Bob, or hey, whoever, and how you doing? You know, so we got a call from the bank or the building owner, and they want you to move on. And they get up and move on. We've offered resources to many people. We connect people with local resources, but sometimes people don't want to use those resources. The Interfaith Cot Shelter is a great resource in our community, but there's some people who don't want to stay there. So even if we connect people to some of those resources, it doesn't always get people off the street. But we do a, a lot of work with that. We actually have a homeless outreach liaison officer who goes out. She knows where everyone sleeps in the middle of the night, particularly in the wintertime. She brings sometimes food, socks, resources. So she's out there, you know, trying to get people those services and trying to take good care of them. So when you, uh, one way, I, that's actually interesting. Like, well, first I want to, I want to back up a little bit. And for anybody that isn't familiar with our area, we do have uh, Northampton it, where uh, Northampton is about 30,000 people. Uh, so uh, we're talking, and how many uh, officers do you have in the department? We have 60. So uh, if that, I mean, that's uh, the, the ratio of, of officers to the, uh, the size of the city. Um, will it obviously is different than let's say Springfield or, um, or another like or a larger metropolitan area where a lot of our a lot of the discussion around the country is is as placing. So I just want to let everybody know listening like where the where we are, how what the situation is and how it's different from let's say like Minneapolis or or Portland or something like that. Um do you think that the uh the resource person that you have, do you think that it would be beneficial to um to have more people like that on staff uh, to that, that has that knowledge of the community. Yeah, I, I would love to have people who can do homeless outreach, uh, whether they work for the department or another agency or more resources there. But I will say we can't, it doesn't work to eliminate the officer position and use that money instead to get a, a homeless liaison person, for example. And, the, the reason why is because, you know, in the middle of the night, for example, we have only five officers, that's our minimum staffing, on the street at, at one time. Just, just one or two weeks ago, we had a very serious motor vehicle accident downtown. People may not realize that when that happens, the victim got transported to Bay State Medical Center. So an officer has to go with him because she's getting statements in case he dies. We don't know what's going to happen. Another officer has to stay on scene and maintain the, the scene until the accident investigation officers can get in. That's two of our officers. Then we've got the driver. We're looking for that car, which is fled, right? In the meantime, we have a drunk driver up in Leeds that we didn't have anyone available. We had one officer up there. He couldn't even make the arrest because... We didn't have anybody. There wasn't anyone available to assist and we didn't have anyone available for booking. So that's just a night a couple of, of weeks ago. So the reality of how we do our jobs and, and the, the quality of service, you know, you have to maintain a crime scene. You have to try to get those statements. So if we 
say you, you wait for that middle of the night call where maybe there's someone sleeping and instead of your officer, you've replaced them with a homeless outreach person. Well, now you're down an officer. And while it's nice to have the outreach person on, you still have your regular crime calls coming in that require a, a minimum number of officers. And we were out of officers that night. I mean, the next call would have been mutual aid from other communities. Um, so that, that's the tricky part. We, we can't let our officer numbers drop down too low in a city of 30,000 people. Having four or five officers is not that many, especially when we have a very busy downtown. Sue, do you have any? I was going to. Yeah. Well, I was, I was just going to say that Northampton is really busy. It's, you know, with the bars and the restaurants, it's not like a sleepy town of 30,000. I mean, it's a, it's a city that has five universities and people coming and going. So I'm actually a little shocked to hear it's only five officers at night. So, oh my God. <laughs> mm-hmm. But then I'm, I'm the law and order person. So it's just, you know, because you have to cover all the, you know, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. I can imagine how that splits up you know, officers. That's the biggest challenge that I think we have when we discuss hiring other specialists is because we work 24 hours a day. And I think this is how we got to the point of officers doing so many varied duties is that it it doesn't, it seems very expensive to have say a a housing specialist on 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You know, it's one thing to have one maybe during the day or, but those calls that we have coming in at that time, well, they probably could be handled by a civilian, uh, you know, specialist, are we really going to pay someone to work eight hours in the overnight for that one or two calls that may come in? It, that, that's how we got to where we are with what policing are doing. Um, we're on and there's not a lot of other people on and awake at 3 a.m. Yeah. So I'm just wondering what other, um, sorry, it seems to me that in a, uh, in a way, uh, what you're describing is like challenges the Northampton Police Department and really, I guess, any uh, municipal police department is facing uh, in part because of the sort of large systemic problems and deficiencies of healthcare in America, uh, especially dealing with mental health. And so I'm just wondering, what are some of the other ways in which you see that like proper reform of healthcare could uh, well, among other things, make your job easier. I mean, you know, what are some of the other ways you, you see your, you observe your department interacting with, you know, the healthcare needs of people? I mean, without a doubt, healthcare is at the heart of a lot of what we do. I mean, we, we just respond to homes where people pass away in their homes. They don't have healthcare. Um, it, me- medical and mental health drives a lot of our calls, as does addiction, which falls under that same umbrella of healthcare. So I can see great need for extended services in all of those areas. We would love to have it in our community. Uh, It would be a huge, you know, uh, uh, help for us and help for the people who we serve to be able to have those resources. And in most cases, getting to those resources earlier before things get to the stage where we are dealing with people when they're seriously injured, sick, or have died because they couldn't get proper uh, medical or mental health care. What, um, so thinking about that, what, I don't know if you can answer this, but what is your opinion on, on having like standardized health care that anybody, like basically like a Medicare for all or, or, or something, or at least a health care program that, that anybody can take part of? to make sure that people have the resources to 
avoid these situations that then the police have to have to intervene in. Yeah, I mean, that, that's outside of my area of expertise, but in general, I feel that everyone should have health care. We see the outcomes of people who don't have health care, who struggle and, and literally die in our community from lack of health care services. I, when I was a detective and I, I investigated, people have no idea how many unattended deaths we have in our community, you know, somewhere around 60 or 80 in a year, people who die out in their tents in our woods, and they die from you know, a lack of proper medical care that have left conditions that might have been manageable, but they've left them untreated. It, it, it's painful to watch and it's sad. And you think of people's, the quality of their life at the end as they are, you know, dying and suffering um, from something that could be treated is a, a, a horrible thing to watch, uh, very difficult and occurs every day in our community where people are suffering. But wait, 60 to 80? So that's like one or two every week. Yeah, we have, we've had two in the last two days. We, we are busy. I mean, people die in their homes. And this is, again, people have no idea what we do for jobs. They have a vision of what we do based on the media, or maybe they see us drive by, but we are busy. People have struggles and there are things behind closed doors that we are working on and investigating. Wow. How much okay. uh, training does it uh, like how many hours of training does it take to be a police officer in, in Northampton? So you have to do the basic recruit academy, which I think right now is around 720 or 760 hours. It's uh, they, they changed it in 2018. So it's right around there. So you complete that. It's a full time program. You, you attend Monday through Friday. Then when you graduate from the academy, and we have someone graduating tomorrow actually from the Western Massachusetts uh, Police Academy, they then enter into a 16 week field training program. And that is when they're paired with a field training officer and they begin taking a very low percentage of the workload. And then by the end, it, it transitions over time to them doing 100% of the work. So then they graduate from that program and that's when they can actually work the street on their own. And we, of course, also have a minimum educational requirement of, of an associate's degree, although 85% of our staff have a four-year degree or more. So we have a very educated police department at Northampton. Is the, do you know if the, um, that requirement of, uh, of associate's degree is, is standard um, for most places, or is that something specific for Massachusetts or Northampton? Specific to Northampton. It's not a general requirement, but it was a commitment that Northampton made years ago. I, I think it provides a higher level of service to the community. Um, that being said, recruitment right now is, well, particularly right now, but even over the last year or so, is incredibly difficult. So I can envision a time when county, you know, countrywide, there, there may be a reduction in the minimum standards. I have, you know, no intent now of changing ours. I think it's very important, but we need to hire people when we have vacancies uh, and, you know, those, those, those minimum requirements reduce the amount of people that you have who are eligible for your positions. Is the Northampton Police Department unusually choosy in, in comparison to other police departments, at least in your opinion? I mean, yeah. <laughs> well, I like to think that we are. I mean, we're looking, we're looking for a very particular type of officer when we hire people and we're a unique community and we are looking, I'm sure you've heard, you know, the difference, the transition from, from a warrior to a guardian mindset and how policing has changed over the years. And if you're a department that has embraced that, you're looking for officers who have social service backgrounds, who have customer service backgrounds, uh, who have degrees in psychology, sociology, you know, as well as criminal justice. But we're looking for uh, very particular fits for what I think is a very unique community. 
we do have the luxury of under Chief Sinkowitz, he got us out of civil service. We are not a civil service department. So we have more freedom in how we can select our candidates. That's not true for so many departments that are basically limited to hiring, you know, one out of the top certain number on a list that they're given by the state. That was put in place with good reason years ago, you know, across statewide to, to reduce, you know, people hiring their friends and such. Uh, but it also is difficult because you, you may see a very good candidate on the list that you want to hire and you can't reach them. And you may think they're a better fit for your community. They may be better educated. They may be whatever they may be that makes them better. And you can't hire them because you're limited to the top of your list. We don't have that problem, which is fantastic. And so we do get to be a little choosier with how we select our candidates. So I didn't, I didn't. Go ahead, Sue. I was just going to say, I didn't know we weren't under civil service. That's amazing. And that happened under the previous chief. He yep, was able to change. Can you explain yep, what civil service is? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, civil service is essentially a way to hire people. It's supposed to be a, a fairness initiative to reduce, as I said, people hiring their, their brother or sister or friend or whatever. Um, and you have to take a civil service test. In our case, we would take one for policing. I took it back in the 90s when I got on the job. And then when you take that test, you get a score. So you get a 97 or something and you pick the communities that you're interested in working for. Uh, yet at the time I took it, you could pick four. So I selected my four communities. At that time, Northampton was on there. If you're a resident of that community, usually you get preference. So then when that community say Northampton PD says, okay, I'm ready to hire someone. You call out to this, to Boston, to civil service department and say, please send me a list of all the people who put this this uh, community down. But you say, I have one position, then they send you a certain number of names. And I think it's 10, but I'm actually, I don't operate under that system, so I haven't used it. But I think for every one vacancy you have, they send you a set number of names. And you're locked into that. You, you really don't have a lot of wiggle room in how you, can, how you can move on that list. But you could pick any of the 10 names. <clears throat> We can pick anybody. We, we just we yeah. actually got rid of a written test altogether and just accept applications on a rolling basis. And you can go onto our our website, northamptonpd.com, and you can see a, an employee employment opportunities on there. And you can go in and fill out an online application. It comes directly to us. We review it and we keep them on file uh, until we're ready to hire. And then we get together in a group and uh, make a short list of the strongest candidates looking for features that we like. You know, we like people to be local. We like people to be educated. We like people to have the experience that I talked about. Um, and then we do interviews. So you mentioned uh, a, a couple of minutes ago, you mentioned about uh, sort of a, a, a shift in mentality between from like the warrior mentality to the guardian mentality. And I, I would like you to, to talk a bit about that. Um, but I also just wanted to ask, so one of the things, uh, like the, the warrior mentality is something that I've, uh, seen mentioned a lot recently. <clears throat> I actually did try to do a little homework for this interview. I, I know our longtime listeners will be astonished to hear that. I know <laughs> I'm sorry, everyone. I let you down, <laughs> but, um, so the, the, what I, one of the things I, I, you know, came across is apparently that there are. Uh, people out there who run companies that provide training in this warrior mentality, you know, like supplemental training for police officers. And, uh, you know, one of the things that was noteworthy about the, the horrifying case of George Floyd in Minneapolis was the apparently the Minneapolis 
uh, police department was told, no, you can't do this anymore. And the police union there decided that they were going to keep doing it anyways. And uh, I just, so uh, do you, I know that you, because uh, you've, you've been on the show before and you've talked about the importance of officer training and how much you value it. So like what kind of outside or additional training do you require? Do you look for is it like, like, you know, is it all mandated or do you have like, well, we'd like you guys to consider these options and, and, you know, and, and to what extent do you guys, do you, sorry, does your department vet the kind of uh, people you hire for additional training? So, that's a, so I guess to extend on, on Jano's question before too about how does the training work? So our academy, our field training, and then to your question, Michael, after that, it's 40 hours a year required by the state of in-service training. The topic of those 40 hours changes all the time. And usually they're pretty timely topics. So something that's currently going on right now, and it's decided by the MPTC, the Municipal Police Training uh, Commission or Committee, um, they make these determinations and they ask chiefs, what do you think, what's going on in your community? What do you, what do you think is important? And we can say, for instance, last year, I recommended adding hate crimes. I, I thought that was an important topic of what's going on right now. So chiefs and other folks can throw in their topic ideas. And then the MPTC discusses those ideas, picks the topics, creates the training. And then all of our staff, every police officer in the Commonwealth has to complete those 40 hours. That's required. Then beyond that, I mean, we, we really do value training here. I think it's incredibly important and policing changes so much, so quickly, there's a lot to stay on top of. So there's some that we would send people to that's just you know required. We, need, we, we have to have people go to say, oh, the week long sexual assault investigation classes. If we're gonna have detectives, they need to know how to do that. If you're gonna have accident investigators or crime scene service specialists, they need that kind of specialized training. So certainly there's a lot of that. But then we really base our training on what's important to our community and what's going on right now. So when we, in 2016, we brought in an instructor to teach us about de-escalation, for example, or we brought in instructors from Vermont to teach us about implicit bias. And this was back in 2016 or 17 as well. Our officers have done a lot of mental health training. The uh, Mental health first aid is just a one day class that all of our officers go through and we, put, we send them to that. We think it's important. There's another training called crisis intervention team. That's a week long class on identifying and managing, uh, responding to calls that involve people who have mental health issues. So we have over 50% of our officers that are trained in CIT. So these are just a few examples, but I'm basing what I'm sending people on, on what I think is critical to our community, critical to our performance, and best, best help, helps us to best provide services to the community. Wow. Okay, well, um, we're at our halfway through the show uh, break point. So we're gonna take a short break, play some PSAs, promos, and station IDs, and take a moment to absorb this fascinating information you've given us. <laughs> and then we'll be back with more civil politics here on Valley Free Radio. So don't go away. We'll be right back. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov slash COVID-19. 
This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Hey, this is Wendy, host of Valley Free Radio's Subculture Music Program, featuring new wave, post-punk, indie, and electronic music from the 70s to today. Join me every Friday night from 8 to 10 p.m. here on WXOJ, or stream it live from your favorite listening device at valleyfreeradio.org. I tried to quit on my own, but it never worked. I came to my first NA meeting and didn't know what to expect. I heard people talk about the same feelings I had and knew I wasn't alone. Recovery happened for me in NA. It can happen for you, too. Call Narcotics Anonymous toll-free at 1-866-N-A-H-E-L-P-U or log on at newenglandna.org. Table of Contents is a weekly music program that assembles an assortment of songs and sounds of many genres, and which may entail literally taking a random collection of musical sources off the shelf and giving them a turn on the table or spin in the CD or tape player. Each week presenting shows which can at times be organized orderly and at other times perhaps be not as much so, yet never dull. Tune in Friday nights, 10 p.m. till midnight on WXOJ LP, Northampton 103.3 FM. Every day, all over the world, men, women, and children are brutally tortured simply for their identity or their beliefs. That's why Amnesty International speaks out to protect people's basic human rights. Call 1-800-AMNESTY. It's your human right. The Forbes Library staff would like to remind you of the incredible resource that you have in your local public library. We have tens of thousands of books for you to check out, music CDs, movies, newspapers from around the region, the state, and the country. We have a wide variety of magazines and free computer and internet access every day. We also have our incredible reference services there to help you answer particularly vexing problems. All of this is free, locally available at 20 West Street in Northampton. So come by and check us out in person or at www.forbeslibrary.org or call 587-1011 for more information. And we're back with Civil Politics here on Valley Free Radio, WXOJLP 103.3 FM out of Northampton, Massachusetts. I'm still Michael Dow, uh, alongside John Roberts and Sue Timberlake, and we're still fortunate to be joined tonight by uh, Chief Jody Casper of the Northampton Police Department. Welcome back once again to our show, still in progress. <laughs> this Thank is your you. third time on, and we're really glad that you've been able to make time for us because I, I know there's a lot of uh, a lot a lot more to you that you do that I didn't even realize, and also, uh, you know, there's there's certainly a lot going on for police in 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 general throughout the country, uh, and I know Genre had a couple of specific questions about that. <clears throat> so, Genre, uh, you go ahead. Yeah. Um... Got some, I mean, we were talking about like a lot of policy and, and um, training and stuff, which is really good. I'm really, I'm really happy that, uh, at least in Northampton, that I, um, uh, that your officers actually have uh, degrees um, in, in something uh, that is related to their jobs. Um, so that, that actually answered like a bunch of my, a bunch of questions that I had, but, uh, Let's just, I just want to ask, like, if something like uh, the, 
the George Floyd thing happened in Northampton, what would be the the reaction? What would be what would you do in terms of especially if that officer uh killed someone and it wasn't caught on video? Um what what would you what would the department do? What would you do? Um, or so if there's ever a, a death uh, caused at, at the hands of any of our staff, uh, the officer is put on administrative leave. Uh, there's an investigation that's initiated. We notify the DA's office so that we have a policy that really dictates exactly what we do. Um, I know that one of the great challenges in these is that it takes time to investigate these, right? To do it properly, to collect all the video if it's out there, to interview everybody, to, to do everything that you need to do and to do it right. Um, and oftentimes in these situations, the community wants information immediately. And it is very challenging to respond and balance the needs of the community and, and to be communicating about what you're doing um, and still running, conducting an investigation, you know, to, to find out exactly what happened. So they're, just, they're very tricky situations. People want information much more quickly than, than we can produce it. And that's true in almost, in many other investigations in our community as well. Uh, they wanna know what happened and why aren't you putting anything out yet? Um, but investigations can take some time. Who does the investigations in Northampton uh, when a police officer uh, breaks a law or something like that? Yeah, so if it's a, it, it really kind of depends. Again, we have a we have a policy on on an internal affairs policy, which you can read on our website. All of our policies were we like to think we're incredibly transparent. We put all of our policies there. You can go on. You can see exactly what we would do um, if there were different uh, things that we're investigating. So yeah, if there's a thought that there's a crime occurring, it could be investigated by a member of this department, depending on the crime, or if it was a very serious offense, it may be referred out to a separate investigatory body, which may mean another police department. We may seek the DA's office help. It kind of depends on what the scenario is. What would you think about a, uh, like a, a, an entity separate from the police department that would be investigating um, crimes like, like, like this? Like this, this, like George Floyd? Yeah, like if basically, uh, if an officer breaks a law and it's, it's usually referred to the, uh, to either your internal affairs or your, um, or maybe like to another department, as you said, what would you think about that referment going to, uh, a, a body that is not connected to the, to the police department? Maybe just under, DA or, or or some other organization. So the basically a lot of a lot of people are worried about uh, if if a police officer is investigated by another police officer or or their department, then they the the job might not be done correctly, or they might try to pass pass over um, evidence or something like that. And I'm not saying that your department would, but this is a concern for a lot of people across the country having having their own department investigate crimes that that one of their own did or even like a just a police officer in a neighboring community or something investigating that as well um yeah the, the classic who watches the watchman problem yeah right right yeah. no i i do get that concern i i understand that um the 
the challenge is if you're investigating a crime, it has to be a police officer, right? So you can't have civilians investigating crimes that they don't have the training or knowledge. There's rights, you know, there's a lot to it uh, when you're investigating a crime. So it would have to be a law enforcement agency. Now, whether or not an outside civilian group or review committee could, you know, look at the investigation at the end and, and evaluate the discipline or something like that, I'd certainly be open to. It's really just a matter of looking at what was proposed. Uh, but you, you couldn't have civilians doing criminal investigations. So you would think that uh, having having like an investigation and then having a, a civilian group uh, oversee that and say and looking at the investigation and then saying if if that if there was anything, if there were any issues with that, that would be like a good idea or uh, you'd be open to that discussion, basically. I'd be open to the discussion. I'm, I'm always a little wary because I, I know that a lot of people really have, people just don't understand policing. And as I've sat through the hours of public comment and all of these things that have been going on in Northampton, these public meetings, that's what is abundantly clear to me. People really don't know what we do. They don't know how we operate. They don't know what our standards are. So, you know, I'd be open to exploring this. We, we are a, a a transparent and, and collaborative police department that works well with our community. I would just wanna make sure that the, that the people who were evaluating these cases and talking about discipline um, understood how we work and what the expectations were and our policies. And so there's, there's a lot to make sure that that can or could move uh, effectively and work effectively. Yeah, it's important to make sure that the whole process is fair. I think that's what a lot of people are concerned about not just that everybody thinks that all cops are corrupt or something like that but they but the to making sure that the whole process of investigating someone uh is is transparent and fair like you were th like you were saying um john yeah please john can i just a quick question for the chief um used to have a, a ride-along program and with the era of covid is that still are you going to do it again or is it on suspension at the moment or you know you'd let people ride with you have to do a couple of things and then you can ride with a, a police car for a shift or a couple of hours i think yep we do have a ride-along program it's on hold with covid but we hope to get back to it if we're ever in a world again where we're not all afraid of being near each other. So we're, we're, yeah. we're hoping to get there. Maybe 2021. Oh. <laughs> you can, you can drive your car be behind the police car. Cause <laughs> That's right, you yeah. don't want to be in this. <laughs> were we ever in a world where we weren't afraid to be near each other? I, I, Mike, that's sure. just you. It's fine. Um, <laughs> speaking of cars, uh, what is your opinion on high speed chases? Uh, they're dangerous. Uh, they one out of every 100 ends in a fatality of a bystander, the driver or the officer. Uh, we don't engage in a lot of high speed chases. We have a very uh, clear policy of when we would ever chase anyone. I actually just listened to an officer the other day who did a fantastic job uh, where he had a failure to stop. And it, it's different, a pursuit versus a failure to stop. A failure to stop is someone that you're behind, you activate your blue lights to pull them over and they just don't pull over, but they don't like speed up to hundred miles an hour and try to take off and blow through stop signs. So you can have a failure to stop. And sometimes that can be a driver who maybe has a medical condition or has a, a physical impairment that makes it so they're not, they didn't hear or see something. Um, and the officer just did a spectacular job. He, you know, he called in exactly where he was, what the speed was, what the reason was for the stop. And that's all per our policy. You have to do that. 
Um, he gave the location as the car was turning. As the car was getting close to downtown, he turned his blue lights off and said, I'm discontinuing um, because he didn't want to put any risk to any pedestrians downtown. As the car moved through, it, it wasn't speeding, uh, but he followed it through, ultimately got the car stopped and um, just did a fantastic job with it. You know, didn't, it was a mental health issue. He, he got uh, CSO services to the person and, and just handled it well. And that's how our officers are. You know, they really do a good job. Uh, High-speed chases are very dangerous. And if you're chasing someone and putting people's lives at risk, uh, the driver of the car you're chasing is likely in this community, someone who is, is a great threat to our community or to someone else. And I just want to mention, you mentioned CSO, that is a community support options. That's a separate um, entity for mental health services that, that operates in Northampton and in the surrounding area, uh, just so everybody knows. Um, what are your views on school resource officers or police, police presence in schools? Yeah, I, I think, again, one of the great misunderstandings uh, of uh, what I've heard is the role of a of a school resource officer or SRO in the schools. And again, I think a lot of people think that the officer is there to engage in enforcement. And uh, certainly that's not the role of, of our SRO. Uh, Josh Wallace is, has been the SRO for Northampton since 2015. And he just does absolutely an exceptional job in the schools. He is a source of support. Uh, he is a bridge to other services for students who are in need. Uh, he really is just a huge asset. Unfortunately, uh, I had to pull him from the schools uh, right now just due to the staffing cuts we just experienced. So we just don't have enough people to have Josh stay in the schools and maintain our, our minimum patrol numbers that I talked about. Um, but I think you know Josh individually just does a fantastic job uh, working for Northampton Public Schools. Is he armed while he's in the school? Yep, he sure is, yep. Why is that? So he, he's a police officer and he has expectations when he's working that he has to take action if, if something were to ever occur. And if he doesn't have the tools that we've provided to him and trained him with, um, he can't take action. And so I, I know that's difficult and, and a point that people ask a lot of questions about, but uh, police officers are armed. Could there be police employees who were not armed and who were not police officers? Sure. Uh, but that's not what that's not what the SRO's role is right now. So um, the SRO's role is for support to the to the school to connect the to connect them with different services. I'm kind of confused about that. If you could go into that further. Yep. Sure. So there, a lot of things can occur in schools, especially you know with uh, unfortunately you know cell phones and computers and technology sexting, bullying, harassment, sexual assault, domestic violence, all those sorts of things are things that are going on as well as things in the school, you know, around threats or, or whatever else. And the school is likely and, and does uh, need police advice or police assistance. So by having a school resource officer in there, um, this is someone who the administration knows, who they work with all the time, who has specialized training in working with juveniles, juvenile mental health issues. He is a specialist. He is our juvenile specialist who is the right person that you want in that school when the school calls the police. If you don't have an SRO and you call the police, 
you get an officer that's on duty, an officer who is great, but who doesn't have any specialized training working with youth, who doesn't know the administration, who may not have an understanding of um, the school you know, policies and how they deal with events that occur within the school. So that's, at the end of the day, schools are going to need the police and are going to call the police. And this is just a matter of who they're going to get when they call and what kind of relationship they have and wh whether or not it's going to be a specialist. In addition to being there when schools call, you know, Josh or the SRO who's in the schools, their other role is they really do serve as a source of support and, and sometimes guidance in the school. If a child has difficult things going on at home that they have questions about, they'll go and talk to Josh. Um, if they're in a home with, with violence or maybe they had a, a sexual assault occur with someone that they're dating, they go to Josh. He is a, a trusted source. Uh, that they feel that they can go to. So he, he, he plays, you know, he has many roles uh, within the school system. Is he, does he remain in the school or is it, is it, 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 is he just there? If someone calls during the school day, he's available and he goes to that school or is, does he remain in, in one of our schools? He remains in the schools. He has an office in the Northampton High School, and then he has a, a small amount of space in the middle school. So what he was doing on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, he was assigned fully to the high school. And on Tuesday, Thursday, he was in the middle school. Um, not, he's not, he doesn't spend much time in the elementary schools? You know, he, I mean, I would ready. hope not, but I'm just, you know, <laughs> um, he'll he'll dip in here and there uh, for calls that come in or for maybe some education or engagement. But um, he's already he was spread pretty thin just between the two schools. I mean, that is a giant group of students between middle and high school. So he really was extremely busy with that and, and his his various duties. So um, he couldn't do them all. It's just too much. A couple of years ago, um, there was a young man who started, he took a, I don't know if it was a BB gun or what, out of the trunk of his car over here at JFK. And um, somebody saw him take the gun out. And I think he was assembling it or doing something with it. And the, I think your department kind of descended on the school and they discovered that it wasn't anything major as it turns out, but it could have been very major. And I think, did, do you call the state police in a situation like that too, where, you know, at first they really was a kid in the parking lot taking a gun out of his car. So it was pretty, you know, it was pretty hairy, I guess at first. Yeah, that call was for a male who had, had backed his car in in a strange way in the parking lot and then opened the trunk and began assembling what appeared to be a rifle. It was called in by a, by a teacher who, who quickly scuttled the students back inside the school and called. So we didn't know if we had a, a potential active shooter situation uh, that was about to occur. So yes, we all responded uh, as well as uh, members of state police who, yes, they respond to any potential or, or uh, actual active shooting calls. Yeah, and they locked down, I think, all the exits and entrances. And there was one over here on the Spring Grove Ave because there was a state policeman or somebody over here. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I was I was shocked at sort of the speed. And then it cleaned up pretty quickly, too, I think, once people realized what it was. But it was it's sort of shocking. I mean, you you don't think that can really happen. And so would the resource officer... I don't know. Is JFK is is that a middle school? That's the middle or school. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I don't know if he was involved at all, but I remember that um, event in some other state where the school officer didn't go in. And uh, I think they ended up charging him eventually, but he didn't go into the school and it was an active shooter. That was at the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. uh, Was that where it was? Yeah. And he, I think the school resource officer didn't, didn't, he had a gun, but he didn't actually go back into the school or something. I forget the whole story, but, but yeah, it was sort of shocking because it happened here, like, you know, within a window where everybody remembered what had just happened. So I can't imagine. Uh, do you have a policy of, of, I think it's a duty to intervene? Basically. Yep. You do? Yep. What is that? Um, like, how is that trained or, or can you explain that more? Yep, it's part of our use of force policy. So there's a separate section titled duty to intervene. And basically what <laughs> it says is if you're an officer who is observing someone, say, using excessive force, you know, regardless of their rank or your time on the job, um, that you have a duty to intervene and, and stop that behavior. And then if you don't, uh, you would be subject to the same level of discipline as the officer who's actually engaging in the behavior. So in terms of um, what happened in the George, uh, George Floyd killing, uh, those the, that officer was a training officer. The other officers were um, basically along with him and they didn't say anything. So under that, under your policy, they would be subject to the same uh, disciplinary, disciplinary, bleh, discipline, let's say that, uh, as the, as whatever his name is. I don't, I don't really care. Um, (laughs) but they, that would, they would be subject to the same discipline as, as the person that actually did the act. Is that, is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay. Um, by the way, yeah. by the way, chief, um, I just wanted to, um, say out loud, cause I, I look at the city website all the time and I didn't know that you have a separate website. Um, I know you said the name earlier, but all the really, the good stuff is on the Northampton, I think it's NorthamptonPD.com. Um, and it's separate from the city website. So if you go to the police section, you know, where they have sections for all of the different departments and agencies, all the, all not all the stuff is over there. You actually have a whole separate web page with all the information for the public and you know how many larcenies there were and all that stuff. So I I just had to say that out loud because I was looking around and only later found um, your website. So I just want to say that out loud. And that website will be linked in the show notes for uh, for this show um, on civilpoliticsradio.com. And if you're listening on podcasts, then it'll be in the show notes of the podcast link to. Uh, to all this information and it's it's actually incredibly uh thorough and uh like like you said there is a there is a a focus on transparency which i think is uh very good and very important um especially in these times um so one more one more question i have uh civil fortiture um civil asset fortiture do you practice that do you, is that is that an occurrence in Northampton a lot or uh, we do not very often that's actually coordinated by the Northwestern District Attorney's Office so what happens in that is if and in almost all of the cases it's a narcotics uh, dealing investigation where we have in the course of that investigation uh, taken into evidence a large portion of money or well maybe a small portion of money really any portion but 
that is held. And then when the case gets to the point where the person has essentially admitted guilt, either it's been continued without a finding or we have a guilty finding, then the forfeiture money is divided up and the district attorney's office keeps 50% of that. And then the rest is divided up depending on how many agencies were involved in the uh, arrest and apprehension of the person. We actually have a regional anti-crime task force that does most of the large scale drug investigations around here. So there may be as many as say uh, six or seven agencies involved in an arrest and an investigation. So it would be divvied up um, amongst all of those different agencies. Okay. Uh, actually, follow up to that. So uh, what percentage of the budget for your department uh, comes from civil assets that have, you know, been lawfully seized like that, but, you know, from civil asset forfeiture or from, uh, you know, fines and tickets and whatnot that the department assigns? Because one of the, like, if you remember uh, uh, the... Uh, uh, oh my God, Michael Brown in Ferguson a few years ago. Um, one of the problems that came out was uh, the city of Ferguson was essentially uh, relying on the police department to hit people with lots of tickets as a way to sort of bolster the city budget. That, you know, it's like, well, people object to high taxes, but they can't complain about extra tickets. So, um, you know, uh, uh, not to be all jacques, but I'm just, you know, to what extent, <laughs> to, I mean, like to what percentage of uh, uh, the, the, the police department's budget, or if you know this, the city budget, you know, is coming from, you know, parking tickets and so forth. Right, right. So um, our drug forfeiture money is kept in a separate account that, that is there and it's limited on what it can be used for. So it can be used for things related to drug investigations, training, equipment, that sort of thing. There's not very much in there and we, we use it just for those things, for trainings, for our detectives and equipment we may need. Um, so that's not part of our regular budget that we talk about when I go to city council or when you see the FY21 budget. This is a separate amount of money that sits there and it's, it's not very much. Um, so there's that. And then as far as what we get for, for writing tickets, I will say we do not have a quota for writing tickets. I mean, I, I hear that all the time that, oh, it's the end of the month or the beginning of the month or they need money or whatever. And that's just absolutely preposterous. We don't have a quota. We don't get any money for it, uh, the, you know, the department. So when we write tickets, motor vehicle tickets, that money either goes to the state or depending on the type of charge, some may go to the city. I believe it goes into the general fund. Other revenue sources for our department like fingerprinting or um, I, you know, FID cards or LTCs, that goes to the state. Um, I'm thinking parking tickets, that's not our department and that goes wherever it goes to some magical land within the city, but not anything that I, I uh, get to, you know, enjoy and, and do anything with. So we don't make money based on the amount of activity uh, that we participate in in the city or the enforcement levels that we have. Um, and there are no quotas. Right. And, <laughs> and uh, well, I think that's good. And I, I think that sounds like something you're probably in favor of too. I mean, because that certainly is a, you know, a strong incentive to corrupt behavior, so. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's unfortunately, we're we're running out of time right now. So, oh gosh, yeah, yes. all right. <laughs> so, we need to um, wrap it up now. So, thanks, thanks very much uh, for coming on. 
uh, Chief Jody Casper, we have, um, we'll have the links to the Northampton Police Department and all of the information that you posted there on the, on the website. Uh, if you, again, if you want to follow us online or social, that is civilpoliticsradio.com, at civilpoliticsfm on Twitter, uh, and facebook.com slash civilpoliticsradio. Uh, stay tuned, we have a lot of great shows coming up on VFR, but for now, um, thanks everybody for, for being on Civil Politics. Good night. Good night. Thanks for having me. Civil Politics is a member of the Planetside Podcast Network. To learn more, go to planetsidepodcasts.com. All right. Um, I have to go. <laughs> All right. But... Um, that means everybody has to go. Nope. Uh, it's actually Mike's thing now. So if you guys want to hang out, oh, then okay. go for it. I'm not actually in control here for once. So <laughs> I, I, you know, I can't imagine that the chief of police has anything really to do with the afternoons. So. Oh yeah, chat for hours and hours. But uh, yeah, this is my afternoon. I have to read this. My God, what is that? It is the uh, calls for May of uh, or June of 2019. I'm going through try, trying to actually figure out what calls could someone else have gone on a mental health person or a civilian or a parking person. So I'm trying to do my own deep dive into the data to see what it reveals. So that's my my task. <laughs> we'll see. Oh, good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting. I think we're all interested, really. Yeah. You know, I, I am. Yeah. I want to know what 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 really could we be doing differently? So I look forward to those answers. Great. Uh, thanks a lot. Well, we'll have to have you back and you can tell us about it. <laughs> <laughs>